All right, which one do you guys want to spend the most time talking about? I would say Ahsoka, probably. Let's just, I mean, it doesn't have to be like a weighted thing. Like, let's just get into yeah. it. Yeah, let's get into it. Cool. You're, you're a little quiet, I think, Kofi. Yeah, I'm sitting back. Um, uh, oh, okay. Let's see if right. uh, okay. How about now? Here we go. Welcome to episode 41 of Podcast X. I am your host, Ben Kendrick. I am joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hey, I'm here. I have, uh, well, bear with me. I think I have hiccups because I'm drinking <laughs> uh, highly carbonated, excuse me, <clears throat> energy drink to keep me up for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you both are recording at kind of a late a late time for you guys. Um, yeah. Being on the East Coast and all. We're also joined by special guest, Mr. Kofi Outlaw. I'm not East Coast at all. I was muted, but I'm not East Coast at all. No. <laughs> but it's still late, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Let's get to it. Wait, are you not on the East Coast? Dude, Nashville, Tennessee is not in Eastern. You need to just do your geography. Is it in the middle? So, well, but are you in the Eastern time? You're not in the Eastern time zone? Is that in, that's in the That's the part Central? of the geography. This is like the entire thing about the geography <laughs> I'm telling you to do. I'm not doing people's free geography. Hang on. Okay, it's, a, it's 11.20 for me. American. So it's You're 10.20 ha- for Kofi. It went 9.20 for you, Ben? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. I did not know that. I I mean, I guess it, it definitely makes sense that Nashville would not be in the Eastern time zone, I guess, but... For whatever reason, I just always assumed you guys were on the same time zone. No, you guys um, are stuck in, or you are anyway, stuck in New York time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, everybody that I work with, too, is like East Coast. So my brain, really? I just assume everybody's on the East Coast, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a lot of them are like in Indian, Indianapolis and stuff. Yeah, for me, everyone's either UK, so they're up super, super early, and the other team I work with is all like West Coast, so it's like I yeah. can't. <laughs> Hence my 15-hour days. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, okay, well, this week we're going to be talking Blue Beetle, um, as well as Ahsoka episodes one and two, which both dropped on Disney Plus um, yesterday. And I think we're just yeah. Let's start with let's start with Blue Beetle. Sure. Um, just because, like, I feel like the Ahsoka stuff leaves a lot more room for us to kind of like. There's some theory crafting and some fun things there, and I don't know. I mean, I, so I guess I'll start. I enjoyed Blue Beetle quite a bit, actually. So I'm sort of disappointed, like, with the overall, like, performance of this film and and the fact that, like, the stars haven't been able to be out promoting it. Because I actually thought, you know, when you kind of look at, uh, as someone who really enjoyed the Snyderverse, was super happy to get the Snyder cut and would have loved to see Henry Cavill come back and some of these other guys come back for future movies. Um I thought this was actually one of the better like DC movies in some ways. Like it had a sort of the unique perspective with like, you know, kind of the Latino angle on it. Yeah. There's a lot of kind of stuff that overlaps with things we've seen before, kind of combinations of Shazam and Spider-Man and like Iron Man. But 
overall, I thought like the moments and the characters were characters I would love to see again and see evolve. And I thought the relationships and chemistry between all the actors and the characters was relatively charming and fun. And by the end, when, you know, we sort of see him wielding the, you know, his like suit in full sort of fully powered up and he's doing like anime sword work and stuff like that. I thought all that looked actually like really like awesome. And Nana might be one of my favorite characters of 2023. So I was in, I mean, it's, you know, it's not the, if I was to give it a star rating, it would have been probably like a 3.5 or something. I'm not saying it's a, you know, a five out of five, a perfect movie or anything. Um, You know, like I said, there was a lot that we've kind of seen before, but the way that it all comes together in the film, I found myself really enjoying it. And I took some heat for this on, on Twitter for saying that like, you know, WB had kind of hid this movie. And I know that a lot of it is they're trying to recoup costs that they spent on marketing the flash and stuff like that. But I mean, I think it's unfortunate because I think if you had shown this to fans like the week before release and you'd gotten in front of more critics, I feel like they could have generated more buzz for this film. Um, I probably still wouldn't have made it like an overwhelmingly profitable venture, but this movie didn't need to make the kind of move or this movie didn't need to make the kind of money that, you know, the flash needed to make or something. And I I feel like that was ultimately kind of a misfire because I think it is the kind of movie that people could go take their kids to, or, you know, kind of a fun end of summer, like last time to the theater with, with your family type movie. And I don't think there are a lot of those in theaters right now. I mean, TMNT is certainly one of them, but for people that maybe aren't a big fans of animation or, you know, are kind of into comic book movies or just looking for sort of like a, kind of a fun action movie. I thought this really sort of worked and I'm curious to see what they're going to do with this. Now, if there's any chance that it actually shows up in the new DC or in the new DCU, or if it, this is kind of just, you know, going to get shuffled under the rug, but I think that's going to be a bit of a bummer if that's the case, because I really would have liked to have seen a lot of these characters back and, and kind of been able to see where they would take this in future installments and everything. So that's that's my take. I saw it like a like a norm. The last time I, I went to a screen or like a non press screening was for Ant Man. So I now have a track record of like Thursday evening screenings of movies that uh, I mean seem to underperform at the box office, but and are about bugs, I guess. But <laughs> I'm curious what you guys uh, you guys thought, Rob Kofi. I, I think I know what Kofi thinks because I think I saw your reactions on Twitter, but I don't know that I saw Rob's. So maybe let's kick it to Kofi and then sure. we'll, we'll go to Rob. Um, I reviewed Blue Beetle for comicbook.com and I did give it a 3.5 out of 5 stars. Hey. And basically what I said was like along the lines of what Ben said. I said it was it's very much a 2000s superhero origin story movie, but it is distinguished by a cast and characters and a cultural authenticity that makes it distinctly different and better than your kind of carbon copy superhero origin. There is a a lot of, and you know, my co-host Matthew Aguilar, if you can't tell from the name is Latino. And we did a whole spoilers review of this movie on the hopefully award-winning comic book nation podcast. Um, And, you know, we did get into it like about all the deep, kind of cultural cuts there are in this movie that does a good job of, of making things heavy 
without making them too heavy so that there's dramatic resonance, there's power, there's there's moments that made me choke up and even like tear up and probably, like you know cry a little bit in this movie and yeah there every character kind of is a latin all the major latin characters all carry certain scars of trauma and kind of like racial trauma or ethnic trauma and all of this stuff and that is kind of sketched out without again being too heavy or defining them of like i'm a tragic mexican figure like but even Nana has a small short story about her that's kind of conveyed in like one line of dialogue in, in, in the climax of the movie, right? Like we saw her with a minigun, but there's something she says while she's spraying a minigun, which is basically Spanish for like death to the imperialists, which kind of yeah. indicates like this lady was a freedom fighter in that these people are, you know, they come from this cultural history of fighting and scrounging and surviving and, it, it was very good. And I asked my co-host, I was like, when did you know this movie was going to be something legit? And he was like, the, the, when they all, when he comes home from college right in the beginning and they go out for tacos and it was the family conversation that reminded me so much of my own family and the way they deliver bad news to him about like, Oh, that was a great taco. Dad is like dying. We're about to lose the house. We already lost the job. Like, and it was just like, and we were both laughing about how, and I was, cause I was saying that's not just like a Latin cultural thing. I was just saying, we were both laughing about it, but like it gave this movie life, you know, and the cast was all good. Like I didn't, I thought everybody was good. Even, you know, the villain henchman in this has a powerful story about like how he ended up there um, we were both split on Susan Sarandon as a villain. My, my co-host didn't enjoy that. I thought she did it. I think Susan Sarandon, who you have to remember, is this very kind of of-the-world liberal person. I think she is a very good person at playing like a sociopathic Karen billionaire type. Um, and I think she did some, there are some great scenes with her in this movie that I made me, again, distinguish her like in this offbeat way. Like there's a scene where she's just saying something to Carapax, like the henchman, that he could potentially take the wrong way and really like, I mean, smash her head in with cybernetic limbs. And not only does she like play him, but she like walks up and puts his like huge hand over her heart and says like, you know, you know, I'm the one who like takes care of you. And it's like, wow, that that lady is just like really, I mean, the mania she conveys is is pretty pretty nuts um there's some of blue biddle that's that's silly as shit some of the set pieces and the lodge little logistics of the set piece apparently they this this neighborhood these people live in get shot up so much that nobody and when a full-scale war breaks out there's not a single like police <laughs> officer or military or and even a neighbor with a gun or anything but like you know we've seen enough superhero movies to to know just to kind of get our brain around that silly shit but like yeah, there's a bunch of silly stuff in director Angel uh, Manuel Soto. Like, there are times when I could definitely see why this was like he was working on an HBO Max feature budget in some of the kind of smaller shots or some of the ways they stage some of the things that are happening in the movie without having like pickups. Like, it was hilarious when he just the whole thing where he finds like Jenny Cord running outside the building and like picks her up in the car. It was like clearly you guys just didn't yeah. have any more budget for like a whole like set piece for this. And it's just like, here we go. But you know, it works and, it, and it's charming even when it's like goofy. Um, and like I said, a lot of it has to do with the cast. George Lopez this is the best I've seen George Lopez in a long time. And he yeah. is actually really good in this movie. 
because he can do he can do drama and ser- and comedy, you know, and switch those things off and on like one after the other. So yeah, it's a shame about the box office, but it's not surprising. Like this movie was killed before it ever came out. It was so was Aquaman too. But I think it's gonna be a weird thing where, you know, ironically it went into theaters, but then it's gonna go on HBO Max or Max and then people will be like, Oh man, that's a great movie. Um so that'll be funny and so, and just make me want to bash my head into the wall. But yeah. um I, I also said, finally, I'm just trying to remember this thought, which was, yeah, it's also an achievement because Blue Beetle does something that I was trying to like run down the list. And I'm like, no, pretty much no other film has DC film has done for decades, like a decade or more, no decades, really, which is hit all three of these things I'm about to say. Like, it, number one, it's on it's a film that is uncomplicated by continuity. You do not need yeah. to know any of these other movies or the Snyderverse or the Gunverse or any of this bullshit. It's a universe where Batman's already there, Superman's already there, like the Justice League, and they just kind of and they and they do not specify which versions of these they're they're talking about. None of that all that probably got cut away. And it's just like you don't have to get weighed down by any of that. You can just go in and see this movie, right? You don't have to see any other DC movies. Yeah. Two, it's it's accessible for like a wide audience of like kids and adults to see. Like so it's like widely accessible to demographics and audience. And three, it's like fun. It's actually fun. It's a competent movie, but it's actually fun in in entertaining in a superhero movie and not overly serious and complicated and complex, right? So we haven't had a, I mean, we give Marvel all the credit in the world for just being able to make that the status quo of their franchise. But for like DC, this has been an impossible target because no matter what you name, they, any of those films only probably hit one of those or two of those things, right? Like uh, Batman yeah. v Superman, like, yeah, great. You didn't need to know too much continuity. You could get into that, right? But that was not what I even, and I'm one of the biggest like stumpers for that movie, but it's not what you call a fun movie. And it's definitely yeah. not accessible to like children and like families and like kids and building that mythos with a younger crowd. Um, same suicide squad, right? Fun. Don't necessarily need too much continuity, but again, not accessible too violent and rated R too accessible to kids. This one does all of that stuff. And in that alone, it's a minor miracle that it can nail all three of those things. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be slept on, but it, it shouldn't have been. Blue Beetle was actually really entertaining. Yeah, I think you you nailed it with that. I think that's the thing that I appreciated about it. It just felt like a fresh. It was like I just went in. Yeah, it was fun to hear Batman and Superman name drops and stuff, but like I wasn't trying to figure out how this tethered in everything. I just sort of went on a little roller coaster ride and fun time with these like kind of you know interesting different characters and there's also sort of a familiar arc. So like I kind of knew where we were headed and overall I got in and I got out and I thought it was a lot of fun. So I thought, did you, before we get to Rob, like I thought the CGI was actually pretty strong in a lot of ways for like a movie that was intended to just be sort of for, like you said, like a HBO max budget. 
Oh, I mean, yeah, no, they're like I said, they're the it's the slower portions of the movie that look funny, but yeah. like the actual action sequences and stuff. Yeah, no, you could tell they went and they threw the they threw the budget at it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought like the suit stuff and everything looked. Yeah, I thought a lot of that looked pretty good. But yeah, you're totally right. That part where they like, you just like meet her or like re you know reconnect with her when she's like hiding behind cars <laughs> it's like now that i'm thinking about that you're you're completely right that does <laughs> save them having to do like the entire sequence of her escaping the tower and stuff like that and you know chasing her down the street with like all these people and extras and stuff <laughs> i hadn't even thought of that but um rob we'll kick to you sure yeah uh I'll start with the last point you just talked about, which is the uh, VFX of it all. I think what this movie does well is just the style, and part of that is the visual style as well, because this movie does something so many other movies fail at, and it's it's shooting at night. There's so many dark sequences, whether they are outdoors or in the, in the final act, in that compound, in the caves, and they don't shy away from doing those John Wick-style lights where they just throw up red lights everywhere or blue lights everywhere, but they combine that with using practical with using practical elements like Blue Beetle suit. And they've really done a good job of marketing that point that they actually had a real suit. And at every sort of event, including Comic-Con and CinemaCon, they, they strolled out the real suit. So you take that and you enhance it with like really cool lighting effects. And you have a director like Angel who can bring his own sort of like style to it. They kind of made that work. And that was sort of the one of the – for a lower budget film, that was one of the things I was kind of worried about, especially when you – you're throwing in all the the, uh, the electric lightning effects you saw in the trailers. I was worried how they would balance that all out, but it, but it ended up working really well. Um, yeah. Even when they get crazier with the suits towards the end, and I really enjoyed that. It's one of the better parts of the film, almost to the point where Carapax's final suit. Like, I'm kind of skipping ahead to what I wanted to talk about, but he, he this movie goes so hard in embracing some of its goofier elements because it sort of has to to work, and I think that. And the focus, the smart focus on the family, help it overcome all the obvious tropes, right? Everyone will make the comparison to, to Iron Man, right? It's yeah. it's dude gets super powered suit. It's so powerful. He has flight capabilities. He's got the inner ear AI virtual assistants who can take over and do things. Um, the difference being that Tony Stark is smart and Jaime Reyes is the heart, right? That's kind of the selling point. Um, but you take that goofy suit and you just embrace it. Then you introduce some of the lore and we didn't talk about this yet, but the Ted cord of it all and, and the bug vehicle. And it's like, it's ridiculous. It's so goofy. It's goofier than the owl ship in Watchmen, but it totally works because they have it stomping through a castle to rock music and fucking George Lopez is driving. It's like, (laughs) this actually rocks and it only works because of the style and visual effects we talked about, but because of the family and the style behind it too. So that's what makes it, that kind of speaks to my overall point which is to agree with everything you guys are saying in your review scores. It's, it's, it's really good. It's, it's story does benefit from being standalone. It's easily one of the more fun movies I've seen this year. And it's one we can and should be rallying around. And it's something I can easily recommend. I think we all would. Um, but the obvious negatives are, are true as well. You know, this, this film cannot escape the weight of the old DCEU, even though it's completely standalone. You do not need to know any of that Snyderverse stuff to enjoy this or watch it on its own. But it cannot escape the the brand damage, right? The 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 poor marketing, the lack of marketing budget. Um, like f- from my own experience at Screen Rant, like I spoke to Angel personally at CinemaCon. We interviewed him for Charm City Kings. I pitched five different things to Warner Brothers to interview him, and they gave us nothing. 
we have a site with tens of millions of readers and we got nothing. We, we interviewed uh, the actor who plays Carapax, the villain on the side beforehand, who was awesome, by the way, super cool, um, just like his character in the movie. Um, but yeah, I think that goes to show that like, we have one of the biggest sites in the planet and one of us didn't do a single thing. We managed to get a really cool clip they helped to share, but um, if one of us can't do anything to promote this movie beyond that, to the biggest movie sites in the planet, it's, it's, I mean, and they're not marketing that much online or doing anything given the strikes and, and, and the whole Wonder Brothers discovery corporate part of it, where they're just trying to like write down films and not overspend on this IP until they reset it. Um, they set it, they sent it out to die. And I think we three of us talked about this because there were, there were insider reports and trade reports of, of this happening during Comic-Con where they, there was the, when the strike first happened, there were lots of, lots of discussions about what studio films would get delayed into, into 2024. And for Warner Brothers, there was a lot of talk about, oh my gosh, Aquaman or Dune are going to get pushed back. And what are they going to do with Blue Beetle? And then we, we hear Blue Beetle is going to, they're just going to keep it there and send it out to die with minimal marketing. And I feel like that's true from my own experience. And that's yeah. a shame because this is better than all the other stuff they're losing. You know, let's say they lost $200 million on that, on that other superhero film they put out this summer. Uh, yeah. uh, weird all the marketing they put behind that. But, but not this one, you know? So, yeah. And that's a shame. Although the other part of that, and we can talk, one of our, future, one of our conversations should be about the sort of meta note or talking point of this whole project is how James Gunn and Peter Safran have been going on for months saying, you know, Sholo and his, his Jaime Reyes, this blue beetle will be one of the first characters of the DCU, not necessarily the film or its story, but he will be. And I find that interesting and good for, uh, Sholo because he's a, a genuine movie star. Cobra Kai is awesome. He's great. He sells this movie so yeah. well. But to me, the way this film works and the way it's presented, more than almost any other character in any superhero franchise that's ongoing, he's not just a character. He, he is an ensemble. He only works because of his family unit around him. Like that's the to me the only reason this movie's watchable. If it was just the superhero stuff, I couldn't I couldn't do it. But half the movie completely relies on scenery and emotions with his family. So I'm very curious how they introduce him into a future ensemble or another project. If it's just Jaime Reyes, like where's the rest of his family going to be? Cause on his own, one of the other problems I have with this film is like, they're really contriving plot reasons for him not to just go destroying everybody. His suit is so unbelievably powerful. It can regenerate. It can do space flight. It can create any weapon you can think of projectile, melee, energy, ballistics, everything, right? There's nothing that stops him except him. And in his first fight with those, undisclosed mercenaries that work for the villains. Yeah. Uh, he's just like, he's just saying, I don't want to kill them. And and we know the loss he suffers because of that later. And then in the end, the final fight, him and his family are, they're kind of shying away from being lethal, but the ending explosion is pretty damn lethal. I'm pretty sure everyone dies at the end. So like, it's like, we're writing weird reasons for him not to be killing people. It's a very tough dance to do. Uh, in a film that does kind of dance with the idea of loss and, and the themes yeah. that this film explores. So that's kind of a weird thing. And I do wonder how they're going to use a character that this, that's potentially this powerful um, in future films, uh, you know, beyond the obvious booster gold buddy cop thing <laughs> we, we talked yeah. about 10 years ago in Screaming <laughs> Underground or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so I think his biggest feat is that it bypasses some of the obvious problems you would expect going into a movie like this. Um, so it's, it's, it's very good, but I do think it's 15 years too late. You know, we've seen yeah. a lot of this already. This does it well, but it's not good enough in a year like this, in a in a box office landscape like this, and certainly in a dead beyond dead franchise like this until it gets reset, right? So yeah. Um when but man, yeah. 
when you Sorry, were at Comic Con and you said they like you had heard they were kind of like sending this thing out to die, like what yeah. was the like what was the reasoning that you heard was the reason for that? Just because they were trying to like recoup flash budget? I think well they knew they can't cancel it or or yeah, they they partially they can't they can't spend anymore, but they also can't delay too many things. They have to have things on the slate. Right. And they can't move everything. Um so the decision was like, hey, this was just a, an HBO Max experiment. We pushed over under the old regime. We can't delay it, delay it, delay it, but we can't like completely shut it down because of it. it's the first like you know Latinx superhero lead, whatever. So it's I, I don't know. So so they were kind of stuck about that. But um, there were uh, people at Comic Con talking about this openly, very unhappy about the Warner Brothers of it all because yeah. in a normal year pre pandemic, this would be a huge thing, and of course you'd have. These imagine like Sholo and, and George Lopez on the talk show circuit, like they're crushing it, right? Yeah. Uh, and sure. and you know, uh, especially Sholo, because like the Cobra Kai guys do this all the time. They will be doing so many goddamn interviews internationally, everywhere, every talk show. It'd be huge, right? That's one of the biggest selling points. The same thing I think about, not to derail the conversation, but with the Marvels coming up. That suffers a similar problem because it's like the marketing sucks. Like the trailers are not good for that film. The Blue Beetle trailers, I think, really underserved this film. They did not create hype at all. It was goofy and weird. They didn't do a good job of it. I think the movie's so much better than the trailers allow for. But a big selling point is having Sholo on the talk show circuit. And I think, I truly believe having Iman Vellani from the Marvels is a key selling point for that movie as well. And they can't do that because of the strike. So it's a real tough position for these movies that are – in franchises that are kind of suffering, right? Um, yeah. yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's they're they're all in a tight spot. Yeah, I'm worried about the Marvels because, like, I I mean, I just I still really really loved like Miss Marvel, and I was like, you know, I'm excited to see those characters on the screen together, and I think it'll finally kind of give us like some Captain Marvel where she's like, you know, doesn't just have to be like memory wiped and weird shit like that. <laughs> So like I'm excited for that, but man, yeah, I mean the trailers do not look super great, and like I feel like the way that people were going to sell that movie was getting like the three of them out in front of in front of just like you said, talk show circuit and sure. out doing interviews and talking about what's next for the characters and you know teasing secret wars and shit like that, and they can't do any of that. It's like what. You know, <laughs> I, at the same time, after Secret Invasion, I'm not sure Sam L and Brie Larson want to get out there. Yeah, that's probably that's probably you true. know how do they explain yeah, what's really going true. on there? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, really it's all true. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything? I mean, you know, there's not a lot of stuff I feel like to talk about about like where we'd want to see the series go or anything like that at this point. It, it is I mean, sort of they kept that post credit scene in there. Or the, yeah. I could say the mid credit scene, I suppose. Yeah. Which, yeah, I mean, which is cool, but it kind of feels like maybe that's a, <laughs> what did they describe the, like the Snyder cut? It was like a, you know, it was like a cul-de-sac, not a, <laughs> not like, I forget what they said it was, but it was like, you know, it was like a dead end or something. It, it was a cul-de-sac. That's correct. Yeah. That's what they said. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It. yeah. It's like, I almost feel like that tease is that kind of thing now, unless they, <laughs> unless they do like you guys are saying, like bring Blue Beetle back just you know, as part of some like, just bring them, like bring Teen him Titans back, or bring the family. You didn't, they purposely left showing Ted Cord out of that. I think you bring the mythology of Ted Cord's disappearance with you. That's something yeah. you could work into that blue beetle or to, into that uh, booster gold TV show yeah. as a central point to like something went wrong with the two of them and like all that. 
because they've already established the history and the funny costume and all that and all that uh, JLA stuff between the two of them, potentially. So, yeah, just transport that stuff. If you don't want to reference the film, you don't have to. They uh, This film also didn't touch on, like, really the Scarab or the Reach or all that stuff that goes with Blue yeah. history, which is also, I mean, good. They might have just saved that for, like, a larger DCU story. Yeah. In DCU um, Chapter 2, Aliens and Weirdos. <laughs> I, I will say I had that. Uh, that was one of the things I was thinking about too. Is like how they sort of rushed through the idea of like, oh, it's an alien piece of tech, whatever. <laughs> it's, it's a weapon, and it's like sometimes it chooses you, sometimes it doesn't. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, wait a second. And the other thing they kind of skipped over too, and Kofi, you brought it up, is the Susan Sarandon of it all. Like I love Carapax. She ended up being better than I thought from the marketing, and they hinted at her having like kind of legitimate motive. She was like pushed out. She was the rightful heir to this empire as the end point because she's a woman and she just got pushed out and that's gonna they left it at that and i wish we had a way to empathize with her more um yeah. then i guess the ending wouldn't work if carapax just blows her up but i, I don't know <laughs> it was a bit she was a bit like mustache twirl like i actually did like yeah. the i like the way that villain fit in i thought she i thought susan sarandon did do a good job like in that in that role i thought because i mean we've seen characters like this before in other you know other films where it's like you know, Sharon Stone and Catwoman and stuff where it's like, you know, some evil woman at the head of a corporation and da, 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 da. the way that's been played in superhero movies is often a bit like, I don't know, like not particularly entertaining. It's just sort of like we need this character in here and because, you know, the main character sort of needs a foil and whatever. But I thought like she was quite entertaining. Like she was hamming it up, but she was also convincing as like, just like you said, Kofi, the way that she sort of manipulated Carapax and stuff. I felt like he could be manipulated by her. Like, I I don't feel like she was a cheesy person. I feel like he kind of had invested so much and sacrificed so much of himself kind of in, you know, in pursuit alongside her that, and I believe that he would follow her to some extent. I mean, it's not like an Oscar worthy performance or anything, but for a comic book movie villain that gets killed in it's first outing or that character's first outing, I thought it worked. So, um, I, I sort of agreed. I thought she was, I thought she was pretty good, even if she was kind of, you know, just straight up sort of evil and unempathetic. <laughs> um, the, the, that like shifts to like really quick early on. I think like we get that, the when she just snaps, you know, at her niece, and it's kind of just like, you little brat, you da 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 da. It's like almost immediately, you know, any kind of menace there sort of goes away a bit. And it's like, oh, okay, so she's just gonna be straight evil, and we're not gonna really be dealing with any kind of complexity of that, of that character and some of the stuff they set up with her being a woman and boys' club and everything. But, but I thought it, I thought it worked for, you know, what this movie is trying to accomplish. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I hope we get more of, you know, of this character and in this cast, I, I thought everybody was like genuinely like pretty great in the family and, you know, and, uh, even the, the core daughter and everything is, was, I thought was pretty good. So, um, all right, well, you guys want to talk Ahsoka? Something yeah, that we also liked in general. Um, I mean, we've always had like kind of a spotty track record lately with these Star Wars TV shows, I feel like. So I, yeah, I'm kind of curious. I'll, uh, I'll kick over to, I heard Kofi's thoughts on the award-winning, hopefully soon award-winning comic book nation podcast, special episode for Ahsoka. So 
I'll kick to Rob and then we'll go to Kofi and then I'll, I'll share my thoughts. Okay, sure. Um, Am I here? Okay, I thought I was muted for a second. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the Ahsoka episodes one and two were were super enjoyable, and it was refreshing. Uh, you know, I'll say it. It's overdue for Dave Filoni. I mean, I think is we all love his animation. You guys preached it, got me into it many, many years ago and in, in, in like mid-Clone Wars era. I loved Rebels. I love Bad Pass. They're killing it on the animation front. Visions is great, too. That's not Filoni, but still. Um, but I, I do think on the live-action front – his legacy was downtrending, let's say, of <laughs> being tarnished. I think with the way the Mandalorian fell off for me and how bad its spinoff they set up was, it really did kill my excitement for his movie when they announced it at Star Wars Celebration this, this spring. Um, but I do believe right off the bat, this show, which is based on a character he created and is so personal to him, it makes big, big, significant strides in uh, correcting that. Um, but I will say we all must have, if we all loved him, assuming we all enjoyed this, the, the, the reception is very positive. Um, I think we need to be cautiously optimistic given, you know, how secret invasions kind of started okay and then fell off. But for, for this specifically, if you just like take a quick shot, snapshot of the positive hype online, which is a terrible thing to do in star Wars, but still, um, I do think it's super hyperbolic and borderline fake at times. I mean, we're, we're at the point now where Star Wars influencers or fans or whatever are praising things like parallels. Like, And I shared a tweet about this earlier today because I was thinking about it and I, I knew we were going to record this and it was on my mind. But there are so many shots which are like, hey, remember this from the previous trilogy? Ignoring episodes seven to nine. Like there's shots like shot for shot, like from behind shots of Ahsoka and Anakin, like in, but they look opposite ways. You know what I mean? Oh, how thematic is that? And there's like, the, of course the, the awesome Balin skull hallway sequence you see in the marketing materials, which is a direct copy of Vader, which Mandalorian also copied with Luke. And then you have all the Sabine and Kane and meditation shots and hair cutting. It's the same sequences. Sabine walking down the same steps in live action versus animation. Same thing with her touching the infamous star Wars rebels mural, which they brought yeah. uh, to, to star Wars celebration. And they brought it to, to uh, comic con. And, uh, even the cool, we see the Sabine and, and the new character Shin Hati have like a cool lightsaber duel in, in the first episode. And like her strike to Sabine is very similar to the shot of Maul stabbing Qui-Gon. You see where I'm getting at? This is the Phantom Menace. This is the first of a trilogy. And you get even the droid callback. Shin Hati gets her, her little, little spy droid back the same way Maul gets it on Tatooine in Phantom Menace. And then the whole beginning, the intro shot is the Phantom Menace with a twist. It's It's – Qui-Gon and his apprentice. It's Balin Skull and his apprentice, but going through a ship to do their thing, right? Um, yeah. It's very, very interesting. So, like, there's a whole lot of, you know, it's a cycle of threes. It's 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 just, it's this poetic rhythm. Rhythm, you know what I mean? That that's the way Star Wars George Lucas always said from trilogy to trilogy. And so that kind of works for me thematically. In that, to me, when they do this right what Dave Filoni and John Favreau and all these guys can do is they can replace in my mind episode seven to nine, which I increasingly despise the more I think about it. So if this can fill that gap and give us some version of what should be the follow-up to Re return of the Jedi, you know what I mean? This is that, um, but they have to get away from this copycat. Hey, remember this? Because this nostalgia pit has killed the IP, not killed it. And, you know, they're sure they're doing well, but it's really 
burned it and hurt interest and it's hurt just the quality of storytelling. And I say that knowing Andor is one of the best shows of, of the last two years and certainly the best thing Disney Plus ever put out and the best thing in Star Wars, maybe forever. Um, but what gives me hope is that this feels and is shot and is executed so differently than the Mandalorian and the other live action Star Wars. I'm not including Andor in that, but like Obi-Wan and all the other ones. This is very fast paced. It feels like they're going to new locations. There's zero Tatooine, big win. Um, and it's despite how fast it moves, it's still jam packed with like content they have introduced new characters, but make them work. They bring back a big part of rebels and this does succeed to me as working as an in-between or a true follow-up to star Wars rebels. You can call this star Wars rebel season five and it would work um, depending where they go with it. I love the score. Uh, I, I love the visuals minus a few of the very obvious volume shots. The one where Ahsoka goes to the broken down ruins of the temple and she digs down to get the map. Like when she's walking through those pillars, it's so video game looking. It looked bad in the trailers. It looks bad. Um, in the, in the final product as well, which is a shame because there are other, shot, other shots that are beautiful. But there's one big thing that this, that really has me excited. Um, I enjoy seeing these characters. They did a great job translating these Rebels characters to, um, to live action so far. I'm very excited to see more of the crew back. But there's something in Episode 2 where they finally do something new and additive to the Star Wars franchise where they are teasing going beyond the galaxy far, far away which I've been waiting so long to do something new and different. And it does that while also teasing, exploring the ancients, the ancient look at the force, which may or may not be teasing that, you know, James Mangold movie he's working on, which is the beginning of the Jedi. But what they do with uh, that one character who's back from, uh, who works for Thrawn, I forget her name, who came back from uh, Mandalorian oh, in there. Morgan? Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's exciting. And, the, and what they're doing with these new characters is exciting. And, um, this journey of going to find Thrawn and Ezra and what's coming next. Like I'm actually for the first time in a long time outside of waiting week to week for Andor, like I'm genuinely excited for something Star Wars. And to me, like these two episodes alone has me more excited about what's next more than all of the announcements at the Disney investors meeting three years ago and all the movie announcements at Star Wars celebration. So that's a big, big win for Star Wars. So um, I'm curious if you guys had similar takeaways. Yeah. Kofi. I'll throw to you. Um, I mean, I really fucking hate Star Wars these days. Not so much the content. I still love the content. I, I pretty much do more from Star Wars content, low-key, than a lot of people in the industry. I read a bunch of the books. I read the comics. I follow even lines like The High Republic for when I could keep up with it. Um, I watch the movies. I watch the TV shows. I watched the animated series. I watched all of them pretty much live rebels. I was there for like every episode and everything covered it across two sites. This, uh, across comic book, across screen rant. I've interviewed, you know, Ashley Eckstein. Like I, I've done all this shit. I've written about Ahsoka Tano when the high Republic started kind of explaining more about what kind of Jedi she was, even though she doesn't know it. Like I was writing about that. But like at this point, I don't know what happened with star Wars. I don't know how it happened. It doesn't happen in Star Trek as much or Marvel and DC as much, but like, I don't know. This is just annoying shit to watch with other people. And I think I tweeted out that like within 24 hours, I'm just like, I'm over talking about this <laughs> kind of, but <laughs> I'm on several podcasts talking about it. So here we go. Um, yeah, I think like I hear Rob's takes and Star Wars got so bad that I can even uh, argue with Rob Keys about it. Uh, I still, and we're still fucking beefing over the book of Boba Fett, but 
we're not going to get back into all that. <laughs> um, we're going to move ahead. And um, yeah, I think in like, I saw some other people, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to give you that much shine. If you, if friend industry people, like there was a whole thread of somebody making a joke about like how long characters pause before like answering back. And it's just like, it's just the most petty kind of nitpicky shit that I hear from a fucking franchise that started out with some no fucking like hardly experienced director and his low budget making a silly ass space movie. Right. And now we have all these serious cinematic nitpicks about it. I mean, look, here's how I felt. Okay. Since that's what we're talking about. I feel like the first two episodes of Ahsoka had a massive challenge in front of them, which was take, first of all, really sell this character who is the Broly of star Wars for all my dragon ball heads. Somebody who's become so iconic without really ever getting any mainstream platform shine, right? Is always relegated to novels, animated series, uh, and comics, things like that. Never in a movie and just have made scant appearances in the live action TV shows. So there's that, but they also had to bring the entire world quite literally of star Wars rebels into live action. And at once sell you on the people playing these iconic characters that so many fans are so attached to from their animated versions, add new intrigue to them, but still kind of make it feel like star Wars rebels. And I think they did a pretty admirable, while not perfect job. They did a pretty admirable job. I think I would give the first two episodes a combined of like a four out of five for me. Uh, I mean, like, let's just go over it. Cause I've watched it now twice. I've watched both episodes twice. Um, Sabine Wren, like I love that character in rebels and I, but Natasha Lee Bordizzo in those two episodes just made her the character, her own and, and made her badass and, and slightly different, but kind of still cool and badass Sabine Wren. And I would follow like more content about her already. I would like, I, I don't care that they changed her into a Jedi. I think that's an interesting change, even if it's not hinted at at Rebels. I'm not going to scream about, that doesn't fit the continuity like some people. like. It's interesting. She would be the second Mandalorian to ever be a Jedi because their two creeds and philosophies, as we saw in The Mandalorian, is so different in Grogu's story. And I don't think people are giving enough credit to the show and the general shows for how much they're cooking on a cinematic universe level. Like, There's a lot of things that you can now watch this show. And I think this show does a not a lot. And I think that's why there are slower paces and slower pauses between characters because they have to at once make the scene work, but also make it work in the large overwhelming context of all this content that came before. So like I enjoy like sometimes when Hera or Sabine and Ahsoka are talking to each other and somebody says a certain sentence that, you know, as a longtime Rebels fan, oh, this that's going to be triggering because that person's probably now thinking about that's probably going to make them remember all this shit that happened. And that character does pause for a minute and kind of like look and then look back at the other person and answer and be like, yeah, like for somebody who was a fan of Rebels, that all felt natural and paced to me because they are literally weighing the history of this whole story and saga between them and i think they did that pretty pretty smoothly kind of communicating like i think one of the best lines was like when Hera 
says to Ahsoka, and she's trying to convince her about like taking on Sabine again. She was like, oh, and she was just like, oh, she's such a you know problem. And she was like, oh, I'm sure you were for your master too. And you're like, oh Ooh, shit, like, yeah. See, like yeah. And Ahsoka like takes a minute and has to gather herself and just is like, you know, no. But you know, that's like a massive emotional moment when she hears that, right? Like, and it's just, and she has a good kind of deflection, which is, I never finished my training with Anakin. Um, yeah. but that's such a loaded statement because of all the weight we know that has. And so I think Dave Filoni is the person who's cooked. Like this is one, what, what we've always kind of said we wanted, right? Like a person who could shepherd these things and be like the creative force behind it. Um, I think he did a really good job. I think the action sequences while not perfect. were pretty good. I think like Rob said, there's still that weird and it's just become, and you know what? I, I don't know. Maybe this is just Star Wars ever since the prequels. But that weird soundstage hollowness to it. Like, uh, there was a... It, which is also more apparent, to be fair, because of Andor. Tony Gilroy's madness of actually packing live sets with entire live extras and stuff like that. But, like, you know, you go to the heart, to the place on Lothal where she's meeting, what's his name, Clancy Brown's character... And like they all pull in and it's like, yeah, this is clearly like a soundstage. One thing that got me in the beginning was when, and I, you see this in Star Wars movies a lot, but they have the budget for it. It's like when Balin, what's his name's ship, like arrives at the very beginning, they all go down to the hangar, but the ship just like pulls into space. There's like no force shield or anything like that they pass through. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> Isn't everybody going to be dead in that hangar? Like, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't space still space? Like, but again, this is goofy Star Wars TV stuff. Like, I, I mean, I'm not going to nitpick it to death. Overall, I liked these new rendition of the characters. I liked seeing and exploring kind of a middle-aged Ahsoka because people were saying, oh, she's not this bubbly, energetic. Like, bitch, please. Like, when have you ever been the bubbly 20 20- which of us feels like the bubbly 20 year old version of yourself right now? Yeah. Like, let's go around Especially the- after all the shit she's seen, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and you like- know what I've learned in my f- yeah. at 42, you know, what's different about 42 year old Kofi Allo than 22. You know what the most fundamental skill I've learned is like, I can't fucking push my point onto everybody say less and just listen more. And if I don't agree, just kind of just like, you know, Demur or just kind of like chill and deflect without actually getting into shit. I say less is the overall point. I know to shut the fuck up a lot more of the time. So yeah. if Ahsoka Tano is a little quieter, more reserved and yeah, not quite the same as the bubbly girl you remember from the fucking cartooned. It's because yeah, she's older, hopefully a little wiser. And as Ben said, she's been through quite a bunch of shit when you go look at her entire story. Because she's had one yeah. of the most dynamic arcs in all of Star Wars, like between where she started out and like what she's been through and like where she ended up, it's pretty nuts. I find it weird that people are like critical of the idea that like she's this stoic. Because even in Rebels, she was kind of that though, wasn't she? That's yeah, she I was mean, the mature in Rebels. She was one. Yeah. 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 It's weird to me that like I mean this transition has already been like put forward by Filoni himself. Like, it's not like, you know, Rosario Dawson took this character and it's like, she was this, you know, kind of like energetic, lively young kid. And then, you know, that she was this energetic, lively 35 year old. And then Rosario Dawson made her stoic and 
it's like she's pretty i mean i love that version that clone wars version of the character i absolutely that's where i like fell in love with the character and you know her arc in that and then rebels is is just really really great but when rosario dawson stepped into this role i don't think the thing that i thought was like oh this isn't ashley x Eckstein enough like but i I find that just weird because it's like she was already the transition happened in the animated series like i don't see why people are yeah she she was a version of this in rebels for sure but even when they did the bonus season of clone wars a couple years ago they sort of set up that transition a bit because it was like really the end the end end of her anything any connection she had to the old Jedi, right? So, yeah. Um, and this is, of course, a whole trilogy later. So, yeah. Uh, and yeah, she I don't get that either. Soul- she had to kill most of her soldiers, man. She had to lay some people yeah, down. True. Like, true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sort of with, I'm, I'm with you to some extent, Kofi. I still love talking about this stuff, but, and I don't have to be on three different podcasts talking about it, but I do, I do hear what you're saying also, which is kind of like the exhaustion of people kind of like, picking star Wars stuff apart. Cause it feels like, I mean, there's probably an irony to us talking about this and criticizing people for picking things <laughs> well, apart. I'm sure just, people are going to, it's just yeah. like, no matter what the content it like how w- look at how different all the content's been like book of Boba Fett from the Mandalorian season three, from Andor, from now Ahsoka. And it's just like an Obi-Wan like, and like, no matter what it is, I don't think we can ever all, and that's never true, but there's like at least a general sense that like a Marvel movie comes out and people either generally like it or generally hate it. It's very rare that we get so divided that we can't ever clearly see how people feel about this movie, right? Yeah. But I feel like Star Wars is every single time a major mainstream piece of TV or movie content now comes out. It's just, it's just like America is just like, my side says this, your side says this. Some people are in the middle, like, who cares? And then there's a person who's like, you care, you spoke up. Like, <laughs> just keep going. It's just like, that's accurate. It, it's just, it's, it's, it's super duper exhausting. Like, it, there's no like real cohesive fandom to it all. Like, we're still trying to sh- like hamstring people into actually just watching some of the animated series. The people who are giving reviews without ever seeing Rebels or, Oh, I saw a couple episodes. Like, oh my god! Like that whole thing is just making me want to jump out my window. Like, what's his name? Yeah. Game of Thrones, because it's like, <laughs> and I wanted to get into this. Like, yes, and I've said this on the hopefully award-winning Comic Book Nation today. Like, yes, we've hit this inflection point where Dave Filoni is saying, "Fuck you!" Like, my animated yeah. stuff is just as valid as my live-action stuff. We're not splitting these hairs, and I'm just making this shit. As if, you know, the mate, like, as if you know to do your homework and go and watch the, the fucking saga of all these characters. And he's going for it. And, like, I say good for him. Like, if you're truly making a multimedia universe, like, Star Wars has been kind of letting people get away with this thing. Like, I don't watch this, or I don't read this, and I don't do that, and I only watch the movies. And it's like, we can't, that's not the game plan anymore. Like, it's a franchise yeah. universe just like every other franchise universe. And it's been doing multimedia for a long time. And it has a lot of talent and a lot of real wealth of content in these other media formats. And so like, yeah, now, now's the point where like, yeah, you're not going to enjoy Ahsoka that much. If you didn't see rebels, it's just impossible. There are like, like, yeah, it looks just like funny knife holding and and hair cutting to you. And I'm Rob was saying, people are like, freaking out about the parallels but 
there are some, they did do parallels in a good way in this. Like the Sabine thing with the haircutting was so good to me because I, I loved that episode and that arc with Kanan. Right. And so like yeah. her finding herself in the same spot years later that Kanan did like before and having to go through that, like is that ritual, like that star Wars shit that means something to me. That's when that echo of time and space and circularness of everything happening is real resonant, which I'm surprised you guys aren't in more into that because if there's anything as a middle-aged person, I can cannot get my fucking mind off these days and having kids. It's just the circularness of history and experience. Like, yeah, how no, much sure. I True. find myself now doing that my parents had to do for me that I now have to deal with with them. Like, it's nuts. But anyway, let's get into some other topics. But um, yeah, so you do. I mean, you just need that. It, like, Rebels and having that adds so much more power and weight to so much more of this. And I just think, like, we can't do this shit where you just go... Okay, well, I'm gonna watch a soccer, but I don't. I shouldn't have to watch a w- cartoon to like enjoy. Yeah, you <laughs> should, bitch. Yeah, you <laughs> should. It's been long enough. Everybody, it, it's proven itself. People have been bigging it up. It's now Rebels is getting shine right now, like never before. And part of me is bitter, and part of me is happy because I've even had longtime people that I've literally Star Wars who say people who I know to be hardcore Star Wars fans. Um, to sit down and uh, basically, like, finally get into it. Oh, Rob, you know, I'm talking about I'm talking about you, Rich. If you ever hear this, I'm talking about Richard. You know, just I had in, I interviewed him. <laughs> I interviewed him. I brought Richard on to interview him because he would never. I've been trying Richard for years to watch like Star Wars Rebels and stuff, and he finally did. And he was just like, and so I interviewed him on the show today. I was like, because I, I wanted to know. I genuinely wanted to know. I wanted to be like, do you feel like? My last question was, do you feel like when you watched it, you were like, damn, I missed out. And will you watch like future Star Wars animation? He was like, oh, for sure. Did he watch all all four seasons? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He nice. Last, one last night and like got all caught up. And so he actually, so he loved Soka because he literally went from watching Rebels like to the very end to firing up to, to having it drop like hours later after he finished the last episode. And so he wow. right into Ahsoka. And so he was like, yeah, man. He said he was that uh, <laughs> that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> meme the whole time. <laughs> Pointing at <Yeah>. everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Um, that's funny. That's interesting because the, the, obviously the three of us, the difference we feel is like we've been waiting so long to figure out what happened to Ezra. Can they get him back? It's been years for us, right? Yeah. On the flip side for him, it's like, oh, this is just the next chapter. <laughs> but it's for us, yeah. it's been this like five-year <laughs> cliffhanger or whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like, I mean, we used to talk I, – I remember watching the Clone Wars episodes like when I was living in Seattle like in 2012 or whatever that was. And like yeah. you know, going through all of these different – like, I mean, maybe it was even earlier in that 2011 or 2010 or something. But, like, I I remember that we – everybody thought it was, like, kind of silly shit that we were watching those. And we were, like, drawing articles out of that stuff because it was kind of, like, people didn't really know where it was, like, fitting in things. And it was, like, there were cartoons. And that seemed really silly. And, I mean, the Clone Wars started off a bit 
like Shit. A young. Yeah. I mean, it was not the strongest start, but it, I mean, it really serialized itself in like, I don't think rebels started that strong in this first season either. Like they, both yeah, I would agree with that. I would. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. okay. And they had these yeah. little episodic tales that were like, okay. Yeah. Like, I'm going to go rescue this animal like, or some shit. Yeah. Early on, both of them are weirdly kind of star Trekky in the, in the beginning. There's like these weird episodic tales that are supposed to have like these little parables and lessons. Yeah. Plus little shades of the large, larger story slowly trickling out um but like yeah it's like somewhere around the second season for both of them they they both kind of click in yeah like but oh shit yeah but i mean we've been like banging that drum for a long time trying to get people to to watch all that stuff and i i don't know i mean i i'm sort of with you like i i watched it with ashley and ashley didn't she was not super like I would say that the fact that these it didn't have characters she knew like I kept kind of being like okay so that you know these guys used to be crewmates and I was kind of having to explain stuff so I can understand why some people are feeling like you know disoriented or something and that's preventing them from enjoying the show like I guess I get that but at the same time I like I I kind of feel like you know I mean the internet exists where you can watch a recap of Rebels in 20 minutes probably you won't get everything, but you know, it's like, yeah, but I don't think I, I've seen people try to do that. And I'm, and hmm, I'm not going to mention any names, but I, I know up and down <laughs> this industry, I've been seeing the people. I know who the people are. I keep track. I, I keep receipts of who says stuff like, Oh, I don't like animated series. Oh, I don't do that. But you know, <laughs> this is what I don't like about the industry itself and where star Wars fits into it. Yeah. Like, thanks to The Mandalorian, for better or worse, Star Wars has become this mainstream, like, water cooler TV property, right? But yeah. it really isn't. Like, most of these people don't care about anything beyond the simplicity of The Mandalorian. Yeah. Most people don't care, like, when you get into the actual convoluted knot of Star Wars continuity and all that shit, right? Yeah. And it's time to explain Cable's origin. And everybody says they're a comic book fan, but when it's time to explain Cable's origin to people, and shit like and everybody's like yeah this shit's too goofy for me and that's how star wars is still yeah and like yeah i mean you can't recap this like you have to actually like i made the joke on twitter like like to paraphrase a great jedi like this may not be the star wars you're looking for like (laughs) there's so much other go watch and or if you haven't go do that other thing but if you're gonna be here like my message is simple to people Go watch the fucking content that came before. I've put together what I feel is like the best, most accurate guide to getting you chronologically through Ahsoka Tano's story, like fucking lickety split with all the real key points you need to know from in the Tales of the Jedi anthology series has great Ahsoka stories in it that do a lot of work. But you got to go and do the work. Otherwise, this isn't going to make a lot of sense to you, nor should it, nor should... And please just cut the argument that I shouldn't have to watch this to enjoy... Yeah, you should. It's a franchise universe, and this is pretty much as direct a direct sequel, unofficial direct sequel can get to something, with like Rob said, like Rebels Season 5. So, like, yeah, you do. Like, you just got to do it or don't. Or don't watch this. This isn't The Mandalorian. It's weird that people like we're so tolerant of this shit, like with Marvel and they're like less tolerant with it. Is it just because the quality is like all over the place? Like I don't know. 
I had a, I had gotten to a legit fight about this today with one of my other co-hosts who said that and Rich and to his credit, Richard came over the pacemaker and said that, like, it's not untrue that Star Wars conditioned people because of what happened to the EU uh, when Disney bought it, getting dumped and all of that. And then all the kind of weird starts and stops they've made and like that in like not more solo people don't have a high level of trust in the brand and like yeah. what matters in it. So they go see films, but they don't think like any of the animated stuff matters because Star Wars has kind of made them feel like all those tertiary things don't matter. Right. Right. The comics don't matter. The, the things. And so that's just how they've been conditioned to think about it. And yeah, man, it's nuts. Yeah. I don't know. I, I lost my train of thought. I feel like, but I don't know. No, I mean, it's, do. it's true. I just, it's like, I guess like phase one of the Marvel universe did oh, feel I was like, say, yeah. but you see Marvel. Uh, that's right. I just want to get this up before I forget again. Sorry, but you right, see okay. Marvel and motherfuckers will still sit down and watch. What if like yeah, a, yeah. a show Whoops. that has really nothing to do with the continuity <laughs> of the main Marvel cinematic universe, but yet it became a water cooler show. Even if people were just there to hate on it, they still watched the whole thing, even though that was a cartoon show, right? And like yeah. all these same, like kind of same people. So it's kind of weird to me, but it's the way Star Wars has started working, man. And here we are. That's yeah. so funny you bring up what if, because it completely derails a point I was going to make earlier about how, <laughs> about the, how, like, how good animation is. And it's so weird that people are, some people out there, and Kofi has a list of who, <laughs> hit list. Um, <laughs> some people don't respect it. I'll just say that enough to give it its due. But I think certainly for Star Wars, animation has been the best thing. I mean, I, if you guys – like Bad Batch is one of the best shows I've seen in years. Like it is yeah, so oh, incredibly so produced Dude, that, and shot. Oh, my God. Like, that thing with Crosshairs in season two. Like, yeah. Oh, he goes, so that good. mission where they go out and he like – yeah. Oh, my God. Dude. Dude, the individual side stories, like the you know the quote-unquote bottle episodes, all, everything is so high quality. That it blows my mind. Like those, that is so much better than so much of other Star Wars. I say that knowing that Andor and now Ahsoka have come out since then, so we're we're, we're on the up and up. Like we're we're eating well now, I think. But the the animation point holds true elsewhere. I mean, Kofi, you've been beating the drum for for a decade and a half about DC animated films. Those have always been so far, DC animation in general has been so far superior than than live action stuff. And even little weird things like the Pacific Rim anime on Netflix was to me better than the films, right? And then Kofi brought up what if, and I'm like, oh, that's the complete opposite. Because I hate what if. <laughs> but um, otherwise, that point holds true. But to your, your question, Ben, about the uh, idea of the TV to film, you know, franchising of it all, why why people yeah. treated Marvel differently. I think when that started, I guess with Agents of Shield, in a way, um, you know, Phase One was pure excitement time, where the idea of any sort of Marvel character getting that their due was awesome. Like we were hyping yeah. up. You know, back then, Stan Lee was name dropping Black Panther, Doctor Strange, and Iron Fist, and all of us were blowing our minds. And then we, we were like speculating, but oh my God, what if they actually do Wonder Man and Moon Knight, which they're kind of getting to now they're doing that, right? Yeah. Um, but then it got derailed because the hype kind of left. Whereas Marvel did it, Star Wars did it backwards, where they kind of just they just made Clone Wars, but nobody really wanted it. Like when that movie, which wasn't supposed to be a theatrical movie, right? That two episode pilot premiere went to theaters, it got thrashed by critics and fans, it was trash and people couldn't handle the whiplash of like this jarring 
stylistic difference. Like the animation looked weird. These characters look like wooden puppets almost. And, and it was so child focused, but they were taking these characters we loved or we thought were these powerful icons like Obi-Wan and Anakin. And they, they were these goofy, weird looking characters. And who's this girl with the lightsabers? Like what? You know what I mean? It was so weird. Uh, so they, it, it kind of went backwards. If people were clamoring for that, it would have been different. Whereas people with Marvel were clamoring back then for so much more. Yeah. Now we're all like, whoa, buddy, slow down. <laughs> but yeah. Star Wars kind of forced it. They had to earn their way to our love. Yeah. And the majority of stuff in phase one was like pretty good. I mean, I would say like, well, it was yeah. exciting yeah. at the very least. At I mean, the time, been, yeah, it was it exciting. Exactly. Phase one was yeah. a fucking mess. We were all there. It was a mess. <laughs> I just mean like, I, I feel like when one of those movies would come out, it felt like, oh, this is exciting. It was a big this deal. Yeah. We, it, was, yeah. it was hype. It was hype. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, there was definitely hype around it for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not saying they necessarily but hold also, up. But I, I mean, just want like, to amend like Clone Wars too. The thing about Clone Wars was they, they pushed ahead with that movie and that series after again, I, and I think this holds true. Some of my other colleagues were saying is like Genev, like Genevieve uh, Tarkovsky made the Clone Wars like short series, right? Yeah, and did that yeah. whole thing, and that's cool. what caught, and yeah. that's what caught on with people. We're seeing, we're seeing that version of it because he was that was when he was really just hitting his stride and really kind of yeah. nailing it with like the Samurai Jack of it all and all that. But when he they kind of just scrapped that. And then we're like, no, but we like the idea of this. And then we're going to come back with a CG animated thing way before, you know, still when it's still looking kind of like the reboot days, right? Like when CG yeah. animation was still finding it's, it's better lights. And um, yeah, that, I mean, that was, again, that's, a, I think that's what people say when they condition to feel like nothing in star Wars matters. Like, Oh, I like that clone words. Oh, there's a new one. And it's just like, okay. It's now like corporate made. It's not by this individual, like very, yeah. uh, you know, visionary person. So yeah, that's, true. yeah. I think that was like kind of a weird th- element to it because I don't think people, cause I was one of those people. I couldn't get into clone wars at first because I couldn't tell which, thing was which and how they were related and did i need to watch the that was the biggest thing like where do i start like do i go back to the genity one and have to watch that first or do i just start with this movie thing or do i it was i think i started with a series i think i watched season one of the series and then finally somebody was like nah dude you gotta watch the animated like the movie and i was like oh okay yeah (laughs) You you are you're definitely right though. I mean that was kind of a weird. It was almost like they just like rebooted it, and but they did have characters like Ahsoka and stuff in it. And it was it was that was a weird transition. Ventress, sure. yeah, yeah, Ventress, yeah. Ahsoka, like all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because my son's obsessed with the shorts. He like he was he watched that for like a year straight, and I was yeah. just like watching him. I was like, this is so bugged out. Like how crazy this was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's totally true. Yeah, it's good. Looking back, the way it works now, I mean, that those OG, very anime stylistic ones would fit very nicely with the Star Wars Visions franchise now, right? It's, it's, yeah, the timing was just off. They should just add it to that or bring that style back. Yeah, no, that's true. No, they the, should do uh, a Genity special. That'd be dope. Totally. Did you, watch, did you guys watch Tales of the Jedi? I have, yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's good too. That's what man. I'm saying. Yeah, like, yeah. Beautiful animation. I know. Yeah, and I was saying, um, I was saying like that's a if you want to prep like your Ahsoka stuff really quick, like that's a watch those three anthologies about her in that series. 
Yeah, totally. the Count Dooku stuff is strong too. I like, I like that. Oh yeah, yeah no, the good. whole yeah. with Yaddle oh, man, and all that. R.I.P. Yeah, Yaddle. But yeah. uh, no, I like the whole, <laughs> I like the whole series. I like that whole anthology, but the Ahsoka one, especially the last one, which takes the uh, Ahsoka YA novel and kind of just boils it down into a much shorter animated short. Um, they just do a good job of kind of inferring a lot about her character and story and everything that kind of goes into yeah. her in in three kind of short stories. Yeah. Each of which is very good because they even use, and this is what I'm saying. Like, while I didn't like the sound stage where she comes out of the temple, she gets jumped by the robots and, and all that, like the staging yeah. looked not great. That again is a deep cut because it's a cut back to what Anakin taught her. Right. Like, which is, yep that whole anthology story is when he trains her to take on multiple enemies at once. That's why she starts using two daggers and that's what he trained her to do. And like, again, it comes into play in this one, right? She gets surrounded by what five droids and and she's like, and she's calm, cool, collected because she's been here before. And those kinds of connections, like I like that, like that, that was really cool because it made that moment, so much deeper for a longtime fan like me than it probably just looked like a fight sequence to like a regular person who's never bothered to watch Tales of the Jedi because it's an animated thing. You know what I mean? So yeah, that, uh, yeah, that opening sequence is like a little goofy just because like you said, it's kind of, it has that staging of, you know, the COVID staging of like, there's nobody here. This is happening on a sound stage with green screen. But I have to say though, it was very like, in keeping with the character and the way that she approaches like battle and stuff by just using those like double blades and, and like dropping in the ground and just like dropping three of those like robots. Like oh, I yeah. thought that no, was I'm like, that stuff was really fun. Like that's what I want oh, out great. of my Ahsoka yeah. show. Like, well, but, she went back down and then made more circles and just dropped them. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like that kind of stuff is like, that's, that's where like when people are like, Oh, you know, she's so serious and, it's like, this is the same character, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's further down the line or whatever, but, um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm very excited for more of the series. I think, yeah, next day and, or it's probably my favorite, at least in recent memory of, of, you know, anything that's happening in, in the universe, as far as like the, the live action shows and stuff go, I agree. Like bad batch is really great. And, and I've been enjoying that, but, um, do you guys want to talk at all? theories or anything oh, about i do have topics uh not to I, yeah yeah, yeah. No, no. hopefully we brought up a very interesting point with nitpicks i didn't even think about that because i maybe it's just my headspace right now but i didn't feel like i had nitpicks watching it like some of the ones we saw online um maybe yeah. i was just pleasantly surprised by how, how much i was enjoying it but um yeah I, I think i agree with you guys i mean i think andor is just so it's so such a prestige thing. I had nothing tops it, but to me, like this, and I agree. I, I think Bad Batch season two might be my number two. So, I mean, I won't know yeah. until Ahsoka finishes its run, right? But um, yeah. yeah, it's definitely up there, which is great. Let's talk about Zencaster. Rob, what is Zencaster? Oh, that's a great question, Ben. Zencaster which we use to record Podcast X currently exclusively in audio form, is the ultimate web-based podcasting solution. It provides, as you know from listening, high-quality audio and video podcast production and hosting. With a full suite of professional tools, podcasters can seamlessly record, 
produce, and publish studio quality content all from one dashboard in your browser. Being a creator like us has never been easier. Zencaster lets you do everything you need to podcast from recording to publishing all in one place. That all is very exciting, Rob. So Zencaster, if you want to sound your best, Zencaster's post-production process takes the headache out of audio production. A frequent problem that we run into is when we come onto this podcast to record, my levels are usually all messed up. With Zencaster, we're able to adjust loudness and levels while reducing background noise with a single click of the button. Back when we were recording the Screen Man Underground podcast, this was like a seven-step process for us. While Podcast X currently only has two hosts and one rotating chair as a special guest, Zencaster lets you record up to 11 participants. Think of it, all of Ben's girlfriends in one place. Coordinating all of these guests, 11 participants at once, has never been easier. Just one click. I will say, though, as the person who has to edit this podcast and cut everything together, my favorite part and the thing that saves our ass time and time again is that it's a cloud backup system. So while you're recording, it records backups to the cloud as well as locally, which if you know from listening to the podcast, Kofi unplugs his mic. We've had some issues in the past with Zencaster. Not a problem. To try this yourself, go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX and you'll get 30% off your first three months with Zencaster Professional. We want you to have the same easy experiences we do for all of our podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. That's Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use the code PODCASTX. I do have some questions for you guys though. So, um... If you'll entertain me here, mm-hmm. uh, okay. This is a not nip, more of a question. In the beginning, when when we see the old Jedi shuttle go to the New Republic ship, it's Balin Skull, kind of going to rescue Morgan. Right? H- how do they know she's on that ship? Do we ever find that out? Uh, she's been taken to prison or something, and we, they just kind of appear there. I'm just kind of curious how. I'm sort of assuming it's oh. like there's still people in the, I mean, there's still people in the New Republic that are loyal to, yeah. I mean, that's the whole thing I with mean, that other, those other guys, right? Like that they run into later that are at the factory. Yeah. It's like there's still it's people in the, work there. I guess that's the, yeah, yeah. it's like there's probably eco, people in the ecosystem that are still loyal to her that would tip them off, I guess. Okay, gotcha. That's, yeah. what I, that's what I assumed. I don't know if Kofi has a I'm better kind answer of, than I do. No, I'm confused because I did a whole. I was writing a whole article today about is this book or is this is this show really a, like a low key kind of adapting heir to the Empire, the first Thrawn novel, right? Um, from the original EU ones, and I'm confused because and I'm confusing myself because in that there was a part about like how Thrawn has a a spy like up in the New Republic, but. Yeah. Um, spies. I mean, spies is. I didn't yeah. Think that okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like, they do a lot of off screen stuff like that, which I, in hindsight, once it all comes together, I kind of respect that they're not hand feeding you that stuff. The other yeah. example is when I was watching, I was thinking like, how does Ahsoka know what this map is? But later on, it's just, Oh yeah. She just got it from Morgan. Obviously. Yeah. Right? Morgan. yeah. yeah. Um, although you brought up the droids, I didn't understand why the droids were there waiting for her at that one point, but, but yeah. whatever, that's a minor thing. Um, they, um, I think they implied to, they, they do a good job implying things through dialogue here. And like, she says something to Balin, like you're true to your word or something like that. And he says like, I'm well paid to be or something like that it was like, that's it. Yeah. Change. And I think, I mean, that kind of implies that he just said like, if some shit ever happens to you, like 
will be there to get you. I just get the sense yeah. that they're like pretty well organized little criminal organization here under Thrawn because yeah. it's Thrawn. So I feel like his shit's that's it. On point. It it is interesting, however, that Balin and his apprentice, their loyalty, they are mercenaries straight up, which is I mean, so far I'm I am certain that will change, but. Um, that's interesting. A question. We don't know the answer to this yet, but I'm curious in your theories on this Inquisitor character who sort of was weird to me. That was the one weird element of the first two episodes because he was there in some scenes and not in others, and he has no dialogue. We, we know his name's Merrick, and he obviously fights Ahsoka and loses, uh, runs away. But um, all we know is that he's, I guess, another mercenary from Morgan. He's kind of unclear like where he comes from or how he shows up. But uh, No, I think that's intentional, yeah. It's yeah, Ezra. I, we all know it's Ezra. We don't know some, how, there's some, it's probably Ezra. Or there's some Kane freaking... Yeah, there's some goofy theories like about, uh, about well, who I that heard character some, Yeah, dude, what like, did you hear, Ben? I heard a weird one. Well, so, okay, so I have heard the Ezra thing, which, you know, could be... I think that's probably, like, easily one of the more, like, possible ones. That he's either undercover because he's going to kill Thrawn, or he's... And he's trying to kind of, like you know, get close to him or something like that, or that it's, you know, he's been corrupted in some way by the world between worlds or something. But the, the goofiest one I heard was like Galen Merrick from the <laughs> video games. Like I saw a couple like lists where it's just like, people were just like listing off like famous star Wars characters from the EU, like Mara Jade and, and stuff like that. And I, I'm just like, what? Merrick. Like, oh, Oh, cause yeah. the na- star killer, like that, exactly. that's what you're thinking. Oh, I heard yeah. that too, which I thought, yeah. man, Dude, that one I kind of like. Obviously, it would not be a version of Starkiller. But like the idea was that Lucas's idea for Starkiller was that he was always sort of the first Inquisitor of sorts, right? Yeah, for sure. And we know the meta part of this is that Dave Filoni and Sam Witwer are tight, tight, tight. Yeah. Uh, like IRL, they are buds. It's Filoni keeps convincing him to come back. And both premieres I went to, like those two guys were together going to the same hotels. Like they are just best pals. So if there's any way to get Sam Witwer in live action, as some version of an inquisitor turned whatever like that yeah. would kind of work, but I don't know if it makes any sense for the, the story. Yeah. You know what I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people would just be like, what the, who the fuck is it? I mean, it, whoever it's going to be is probably everybody's going to be like, who the fuck is that? Just because if it is anybody of any interest, it's going to be someone that's like from a video game or from a clone wars episode or whatever. But did like Baron SOP was one of the ones that I thought was kind of interesting or I'm sorry, Burris SOP. Um, was one of the ones that I thought because who who was like her friend that sort of like betrayed her, like that would be an interesting oh, yeah. circuit. But I couldn't remember if she died in the comics or not. I think she did, right? Or not in the comics? God, I'm so tired. I can't. Um, I can't remember the, if she died. The Ezra thing makes sense, but I, my assumption in my head was like Ezra was in that other galaxy with Thrawn. So I just kind of figured. What, 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 you get, my yeah, theory back? is, yeah. I, I think my theory is because Balin is they, – they've set up this precedence because Balin was a Jedi until he escaped into the unknown regions of during Order 66. And whatever happened out there, he came back kind of more dark side leaning and for profit and power, right? Like that's what mm-hmm. he's all about. So there's also a subplot of the original Thrawn trilogies that has to deal with this old kind of crazy, insane, dark Jedi guy who was like uh, guarding a thing that becomes obsessed with like turning Luke and Leia to the dark side and, you know, taking their Leia's unborn twin babies and corrupting them. And I feel like there's going to be a whole dark side element to this and whatever kind of made 
whoever Balin like truly served under or like whatever turned him, I think could be applied to Ezra too. Like that he was yeah. just out there. He made this sacrifice. He's out there without his friends and Ezra. If they really want to get deep cut, there was a big subplot of rebels about, you know, how much dark side potential Ezra really has. Right. Which is, he was kind of star killer ish. Like he could have gone either way. Um, that's why yeah. Maul wanted to be his teacher as well. And so yeah. like he's susceptible. So like if he's out there isolated thinking he made this noble sacrifice, but you know, Thrawn eventually gets the upper hand, like we know he will and had it just did went to work on that kid. Like the whole reason you could explain, they know that Thrawn is out there is because he sent somebody back as like almost like a herald of Galacticus type deal because Ezra being yeah. one person who knows how to access the world between worlds and possibly get himself the fuck out of there and get back to the regular galaxy. But if he's been corrupted to then, you know, help summon Thrawn's minions and get him out of there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that would be, I think that would be interesting. It'd be heartbreaking too, for sure. Right. I mean, that would be an interesting challenge for Sabine in particular. But uh, yeah, probably logistically to me, it, it might be the only explanation that makes sense for why he's there and not in certain scenes. And, yeah. uh, but then they have to do that weird thing where like, oh, I couldn't sense him because the dark side clouds the force or some shit. I'm kind of sick of that. But um, yeah. the uh, I tell you, some things got me excited though. Like I, I like the idea of like Morgan straight up just mentioning the Night Sisters of Dathomir. And then my favorite scene is when they have the map. It's her, Balin, and whatever her name is. And they have the map up, and then Balin questions her. That's it, Shin, yeah. I said that earlier. I just forgot. But um, Balin questions Morgan and says, this is not Jedi. Who who made this? And it's like, oh, it's such a cool tease of like these ancients ancients from another galaxy, no less. So uh, that's what has me excited. Like, okay, Star Wars is going beyond. We're actually going to meet some new and ancient different species where we can yeah. really delve into the old stuff. So and yeah. we got a, and we get a mention of the old Republic too, by cause whatever machine she's building, she calls it the eye of, uh, Sinos. Oh, yeah. oh that is, that's from the old Republic. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's yeah. The old Republic. So they're going all over the place with it and let's get weird and let's go out into the unknown regions and get real weird out there. Yeah. Exactly. They need to. Um, one thing I'll say, because Kofi mentioned Heir to the Empire, I think that's what this whole trilogy in the, the movie will ultimately be. I, th- I think this is like, t- again, I mentioned it in, in my sort of thoughts on the show. It, to me, it's replacing seven to nine. This is kind of what we deserve as the follow up. And I like the idea that Filoni and his head is planning as a trilogy, although TV shows are involved. So I still think this is all a big part of his, his own episode one or his episode seven. Um, but by the end of this, we know from. Uh, Star Wars Celebration that Lars said we won't know what Thrawn is up to until the like very last moment of this season. So it's like such a little tease. And yeah. I also wonder then, like we, we talk about this and I refer to it as like Rebel Season 5, but really when you think about it, Ahsoka was a supporting character in Rebels. The main crew so far outside of Sabine are like background characters in this. But we will of course get Ezra and you know we'll have some other faces come back. So I, I would like to see that whole crew assembled on the ghost by the end of this. So it's like, okay, this is episode two of this or episode eight is like, okay, we have the rebels crew with Ahsoka Thrawn full fledged. Let's go. Um, bad shit happens. Yeah. I just want to keep seeing that specter cake. Specter cake (laughs) is blowing up the internet. Specter cake. Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw that. 
Hera and uh, Sabine. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, people are freaking out. They can't. They can't get over it. Yeah. Just like yeah. The uh, Hera, Hera cake or Sabine cake, and you'll see what I mean. The uh, I really like a lot of the people that we haven't talked about yet on this, and we don't have to go into it. But I mean, like, like Winstead as Hera is great. Um, like Natasha Lou Bordizo as Sabine, great. You know, we haven't said, and like David Tennant, my man, my doctor, one of my doctors, second favorite doctor. That's who Yang, like, and then Wes Chatham from The Expanse going to show up eventually. And then Ray Stevenson, obviously, like, you know. R.I.P. I don't know what's going to happen to that character in this show, but it's going to be a real fucking bummer if he lives in the show and we don't get more of him because he's, yeah. he's very great. And then, like, you know, Shin Hatai, that shit is so good. And, I mean, it, there's just, like, all these characters that they're bringing in are so so compelling and so interesting and well acted. It's uh, it's pretty great. Um, uh, yeah, Dave Tennant's good. And that, that's one of like in terms of screen time, or in his case, voice time. Like one of the most prominent characters in the first two episodes. But uh, Star Wars across the board kind of killing it on the droid front, man. Like because like yeah, uh, what's his face? Mandor was awesome, and Chopper makes an appearance here. Is Chopper so good in this episode too? Like, yeah. yeah, I mean that. They do such a, I mean, you know, I guess it makes sense because it's like basically an animated character. <laughs> like they don't have, there's nothing that they have to do different here, but except just <laughs> make him look more realistic. But the, the tracker yeah. throwing sequence was out of control. <laughs> so but it kind of works if you know the character, yeah. obviously. So totally. Yeah. And I mean, like the interaction between him and Hera is just like pretty spot on from the, from the actual like series and stuff, the way that they, there's like that, that kind of love, but frustration and, and Chopper's just a psycho. Like all of that stuff is really, really good. Okay, question. This is a stupid question. The ghost is still f- around, right? It's not. It didn't get destroyed in Rebels, right? No, I don't think so. Because it's, it's in it's in Re- Rise of Skywalker, right? It's in, so, yeah, it's in that. Uh, I think it's in Rogue One too. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay, okay, yeah. Because they they, they kind of just throw us a tease with the Phantom, but don't give us the big ship yet. So, uh, okay. Yeah, I think I, mean, I would that. assume that Hera must have it. Don't they also fucking have, like, they're putting out, like, some crazy-ass toy of that right now, right? I keep getting ads for it on Facebook. Yes, the one I did the big, uh, I did a bunch of stuff for, I I saw, I did interviews for it at at Celebration. Sorry, Comic-Con. Maybe it's not that it's ads, I'm just seeing your shit all the time. It's a, maybe, it's the HasLab thing. It's the biggest Star Wars vehicle that Hasbro has ever made. Um it's it's awesome, dude. It's so, weird to do that uh, if they're not gonna fucking that thing isn't about. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I'm just it's funny how they just have the Phantom in that in the first two episodes, yeah. but not the big ship. Like, yeah, yeah, pretty weird. Yeah, makes you wonder um, what's his face. Who's our who's our fan favorite? The big guy, the OG Wookiee yep. design. Yes, because he was in Mando, right? So yeah, he shows up. Um, yeah. Gotta get him back as soon as possible. He ha- yeah, he has to be in in some of these episodes or whatever. I mean, yeah, he's yeah, probably yeah. only in like one or two episodes because he's. I don't know if, if Hera tells him we're going to get Ezra. We know the way. I mean, Zeb's there, right? So yeah, for sure. But he's a giant CGI character. I mean, the budget has to like inflate every time that guy's on screen, right? Like, oh uh, yeah, what? He looked good, man. In uh, in Mandalorian he too, he looked great. I thought so. Same voice, which is perfect. So yeah, yeah. I mean that that I was not expecting when <laughs> when I found out he was going to be in the Mandalorian and going to show up. I was not expecting like how you conceptualize that design for live action. Like they nailed it as far as I was concerned with that. But um, yeah, 
yeah, I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. But uh, anything else you guys want to say about this? Kofi never going to want to talk about this shit ever again, but um, I'm good. I'm good, bro. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I think we all, we obviously like dug it. I think, I think you are right, Rob, to be like, it's like be cautiously optimistic, but cautiously because there have been some misfires here, but I don't know. I mean, this thing feels like if there is one character in all of star Wars that Filoni feels connected to, it's this one. So if, if he fucks up his own baby and show and stuff that that's going to be a real bummer. I'm kind of hopeful that he has like a lot of leeway here to do it. Yeah. I think he's going to, I mean, like he's, the track record speaks for itself on like character arcs and he has time yeah. to do his TV, which is such a great yeah. mix of things for him. I'm more concerned is like one thing with Filoni I didn't love with the animated shows is how off the rails they got with the force sometimes. Yeah. Uh, time, travel stories. All that. yeah. time travel. Yeah. Which is a huge, Oh boy, that was a choice to make. Yeah. Um, but no, like the, the, the visualizations of like the good and the dark and light side stuff that one episode in Clone Wars, yeah, whatever. Yeah. And, and like the big talking thing, I forget his name. Just with a B in, in Rebels that that Ezra kept talking to, the famous voice actor, uh, yeah. a huge thing. You know what I'm talking about? And it's like it's just yeah. goofy, weird things with the Force. So, um, yeah, my more bigger concern is like, what are they really going to do with Thrawn's motivation? Like, is there going to be some weird, goofy threat they're setting up? That's just not interesting. It's more that kind of stuff. It's not. I am not worried about the Rebels characters or Ahsoka doing stuff and being on screen. It's more like, what are they, what kind of twists and turns are they going to take with characters, and what's the threat and larger story they're setting up? Is, am I going to care? You know what I mean? Because that part yeah. of it is where they keep burning me. So, um, yeah, yeah. Do you think Kanan makes a live action appearance in any way, shape, or form in this? I know that like Freddie Prince has said he's not doing it, but like, I mean doesn't mean he wouldn't show up like in some kind of flash force ghost style maybe yeah yeah that feels like a know. fucking missed opportunity if the rest of the crew shows well up anakin's gonna show up as a flashback right yeah it's, it seems pretty obvious from the marketing so yeah i would be wouldn't be surprised if there's a once we get ezra's perspective on things maybe that's where it makes sense but yeah. if ezra's turned to the dark side then maybe that doesn't make sense i don't know we'll see yeah i i have really mixed feelings about that theory Kofi like I mean I, I does seem like the most logical thing but man what a fucking bummer <laughs> how like, they explain that's gonna be like yeah. I'm not sure I'm not gonna accept it'd be, any answer it'd be, tough. So. it'd be tough I mean they've laid the groundwork for it but it's like that's not what you want to see when you go like look for this long lost person is like oh the Tron just- was grooming him <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better word in Rebels so that part of it makes yeah. sense it's just yeah. the, the heroic play at the end of Rebels just seems so on the far end of that spectrum to just coming back as a villain, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I mean, we can wrap it up there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're kind of putting these podcasts out whenever there's something big that we, we want to talk about. Um, so, you know, there's a couple of things coming out in the next couple of weeks. Maybe we'll, we'll circle back around for, we could do some summer, summer kind of wrap up stuff too. So, We'll uh, we'll be back in your feed the next time there's there's something we think you guys are gonna want to hear us talk about. Um, I would drop kind of the request we haven't done it in a while. If you've been enjoying the show or you're a longtime SRU you know listener and you want to support us, put a review on your podcast platform of choice. It definitely makes a massive massive difference. Um, we'll get around to reading some of those sometime sometime soon. Maybe like Rob and I can rattle off some of those 
like next week or something like that. If people go put, go put new ones, um, out, but, uh, other than that, I'm Ben Kendrick. You can follow me at Ben Kendrick on pretty much all the socials. Um, you can check out what I'm doing over at static media. We run slash film and looper, Mr. Rob keys. Hey, you can follow me on Twitter, not X Twitter. X. Uh, at Rob underscore keys is K E Y E S. And I am fail cube. Uh, I wish I could change that on uh, Instagram and threads. Yeah. And follow our stuff on Screen Rant. Lots of exclusives. We dropped the Expendables four posters today, which was kind of cool. Yeah, and our, cool. our Rebel Moon set visit. We can find. Oh man, we finally can talk about Rebel Moon. Uh, we've done all these events and set visits. We can't talk about it until today. So who went on the set visit for that? I sent our boy Steven since he's a uh, uh, Steven yeah, Colbert, Snyder. big 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 Zack Snyder fan. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, so it was very cool. That's cool. Um, I figured it was either him or Dice, but uh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, true. Dice would be good too. Uh, special guest Kofi Outlaw. Yay! You can find me on the hopefully award-winning Comic Book Nation every week, and my work on ComicBook.com. Awesome. That will do it for this week's episode, guys. If, uh, like I said, give us a review rating, we'd appreciate it. And we will see you all maybe next week or whenever there's something worth us uh, us getting together and talking about. May the force be with you. Mm-hmm.